Good morning, church. Happy Sunday. This morning, my message, the title of my message is The Testing of Your Faith. Could you say that? The Testing of Your Faith. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. It seems like the perfect word for 2020. Never before have we witnessed a pandemic that has swept onto, onto America's shores like a, a tsunami, sledgehammering our economy, and changing our lives, perhaps forever. Widespread civil unrest, devastating wildfires, uh, the coming elections, awareness of racial injustice, a judicial redefinition of sex and gender. With everything happening, some would say the world is out of control. Some may ask, what is God's purpose in these unprecedented times? While others ask, what is he doing? Before trying to answer these questions, is that compared to the wisdom of God, my opinion counts for nothing. So does yours. What we think out, what we think out of our own heads is of little significance. The Bible says it this way, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Instead, we are told, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Another thing I should say before trying to um, answer the question, what is God doing, is that he is always doing a billion things we do not know. You have multiplied. You have multiplied, oh my Lord God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Psalms chapter 40, verse 5. Not only are his active involvements in the current world crisis beyond counting, they are in many ways inscrutable. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. But when Paul wrote that, he was not saying close your Bibles and make up your own reality. See, those words about God's inscrutable ways were written as a climax to 11 chapters of the greatest news in the world, all of which are written to be understood. For example, when Paul touches on the certainty of suffering, he says this, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5. Knowing, knowing the scriptures are written that we might know the things God has revealed. So inscrutable, inscrutable means that God is always doing more than we can see. And even what we can see, we would not have seen it if he had not revealed it. One of the many billions of doings and goals of God on your life is to grow you up. It's to grow you up to spiritual maturity. Goals, God's goal on earth is not to uh, make you happy, all right? In heaven, you're going to be happy, ha happy there, right, for trillions, a gazillion years. This is the growing stage. This is the development stage here on this planet. Not everything works perfectly, and not everything goes the way you want it to go because God is, such, is much more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Of course, our, our model is Jesus Christ, who was love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. He was the fruit of the Spirit. He's our, our model for spiritual maturity. One of the ways that God grows you up is by 
testing you. You see, God builds your character uh, through a series of tests. God takes us through tests to try our faith and discern its composition. Is it genuine or false? Is it weak or strong? Now, there's a purpose behind every problem in your life. They're not simply arbitrary or simply by chance. The problems that come in your life are there to test your character, grow your character, and grow your faith. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of, of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The way you become strong in character is to have your faith tested. God uses the conflicts and the problems, the pressures of life, the trials, difficulties, and the disasters, the dangers, and the disappointments. He uses all of it, all of it to test your faith and to grow you strong in character. God gives us many examples in the Bible to prepare us for many different kinds of tests. He uses various individuals to show us how to pass each test. Question, how can we pass God's test? We're going to learn from three men this morning that are from the Bible. We can learn a great deal from a man named Noah about passing God's tests. Noah was such a righteous person. He was one man that stood for goodness and for God. Even though the sin of mankind had reached such depths of depravity that the Lord regretted that he had made man. Genesis chapter 6 Verse 6, nonetheless, there was one man who stood out. It says of Noah that, but Noah found favored in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8, Noah stands out. He stands out from the surrounding society. You know what? He is faithful to God. In the midst of darkness, death, and despair, he is a bright ray of hope compared to all that was going on in the world. The deep grief, the deep grief that God was feeling, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8, he was the recipient of God's sovereign, unmerited grace, kindness, and mercy. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, blameless in, his, in his generation. Verse 9a, he was righteous in his character and his actions. And to be righteous means to be upright honest, impartial, just in all his dealings and relationships with other people. He was honest, lawful, ethical, and trustworthy. According to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. Noah walked with God, verse 9. He's like his great-grandfather, Enoch, who also walked with God. Genesis chapter 5, verse 22. Again, to walk with God means that you live in close company with God. You, you treasure fellowship, communion with God, that your life is characterized by godliness. The, the prophet Micah asked this question, what does the Lord require of you? And the answer is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In the time of Noah, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God was grieved in his heart. Verse 6. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. 
for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. You see, the corrupt behavior of all flesh, as stated, had a negative impact on the earth in which they lived. See, we cannot practice corruption and violence without negatively affecting the entire environment of the earth. Sin, sin had affected the entire planet. The earth was corrupt morally, spiritually, physically, environmentally, politically. Man's unethical conduct, uh, dishonest dealings, immoral relationships, and rejection of God had corrupted the planet. Humans, in their nature, were degenerate in their behavior, disconnected in society, and detached from God. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, verse 11. The earth was filled with violence. Violence accompanies corruption. Human relationships become ruthless. The time of Noah were remarkably like our own, a, a time of spiritual uh, degeneracy, moral permissiveness and perversion, departure from God, and a time of violence and corruption throughout the world. So you see, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with the violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 13, God said to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Verse 14, now imagine, imagine you're Noah, or you're his wife, or, or one of his kids, and you know the world is pretty evil at this time. And God comes to your dad or your husband and says, you know what, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe out everything. I'm going I'm to flood the earth, and I'm, I want you to build me this big boat. We're all, we, you know what, we're going to call it an ark. I'll bring all the animals to you, and I'll take care of that. You're going to put your families on there, all the animals on the ark, and we're just going to start right over. Would you believe that? Would you think, am I hearing right? What's an ark? What's a flood? What are you talking about? Now, this is the very first test. A test like this you will experience in your life many times. It's a new task test, a difficult new task test. And also, what, Lord? God's going to say to you, here's what I want you to do. Or here's what I'm asking you to do. And you know what? It can be so big that it just seems impossible, an impossible dream, or it's an, uh, an impossible task. I call this the what test, because when God comes to you and says, here's what I want you to do, you go, what, me? No, 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 no way. No, uh-uh. You got the wrong guy. You go down the street. You can ask him. When God asks you to do something that's so new or so difficult, you don't even imagine yourself doing it. That's the what test in life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood, and he obeyed God. He warned him about something that had never happened before. See, the Bible tells us that up to this time, it had never rained on earth before, that a mist rising upward from the fountains of the great deep and then settling back to water the ground, watering all the animals, vegetation, and all the plants. So number one, you've never done it before. Number two, it seems impossible. That's the what test. What, are you kidding me? You've never done it before, or it seems impossible. Now, question. What is faith? People often excuse themselves as not being able to believe, as if faith were a matter of DNA. What matters is where we place our trust and on what grounds. You see, faith, trust 
in the future, moving into the, the realm of hope. The great Hebrew leaders in the Old Testament um, exhibited this in abundance, trusting God's promises as did Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. Faith. Faith seems clear that what is not primarily in view is what we feel or possess, such as assurance, confidence, but rather how faith substantiates or gives substance to what is promised, how it provides evidence of what is believed about unseen and hoped for realities. Now, faith has a way of making the future present and the unseen visible. Our faith substantiates, which means provide evidence, support, or prove, prove the truth, what we hope for, thus giving us assurance that they are true. Faith makes real in our experiences the promises that God has given about the future. Faith proves to us the fact that the things we presently cannot see, God, angels, demons, heaven, hell, are very much true and real. In other words, faith applies the reality of God's promises and the unseen world to life in the present, visible world. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 states this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Faith is facing the future without knowing what. Noah built an ark by faith. No, so you got this big new task. Going to have that many, many times in your life. God will ask you to do something you've never done before. Number two, here's the second test a major change. First, a new task. The second is a major change. I call this the where test. Where are we going, Lord? Where are we going with this one? A major change upset in your life. A good example of this kind of test is from the second guy, and his name is Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. See, this is the change, to leave home and go to another land. He's going to make a major move. Abraham was a sinful heathen who grew up in an unbelieving uh, uh, idol-worshiping society. He was raised in a home that was pagan. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 gives you that. See, Abraham's native city of Ur, which the word Ur means fire oven, was in, in Chaldean. It's between the Tigris and the Euphrates, which is now uh, Iraq. He did not plan to leave Ur and then Haran and eventually settle in the, in the land of Canaan. When he left Ur, he had no idea where he was going. He was called by God. Only God knew. To call Abraham out of paganism and idol worship in order to bless him and the world through him. God spoke to him. He listened. When God promised, he trusted. When God commanded, he obeyed. This is the where test without knowing where he was going. A difficult move. Major change for Abraham. Why? Hey, he's 75 years old, okay? He's ready for Social Security, right? But God says, get ready for social insecurity. Get, God says, get ready for the adventure of your life. Uh, at age 75, that's not, no, not really a time to start your adventure. I don't think so. Now, Abraham, this man was wealthy. He had a lot to move. He had cattle. He had sheep. He had goats, big family, people working for him. God says, I'm going to move you to a new country. And Abraham says, where are we going? And God says, I'll let you know. He says, how will I know when I get there? He says, I'll let you know. He says, what direction? Just head that way. 
How long will it take, Lord? I'll let you know. Would you move? Now listen, would you move if God said, I'm not going to tell you where you're going, how long it's going to take, where you're going to end up, and what it's going to be like once you get there? And all he will say is, just trust me. The second test of life, a major change. Abraham, by faith, obeyed God to leave home and to go to another land. Would you do that? You're going to be tested by God when he's going to say, I want you to go that direction. You go, where? Head that way. This is a test. Some of you, some of you are in the where test of life right now. Some of you are in the first test. Okay, what? The where test is God saying, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to move you, and you don't know where yet. It's a test of your character to test your faith. Now, faith is following God's leading without knowing where. Other times, God might say, you know what? I want you to quit your job. What's the job, Lord? I'll let you know. I want you to sell your house. Where are we going with this one, Lord? Where are we going to move at? God says, I'll let you know. This is the second test of life. The where that builds your character. The what and the where. The new task and what? And the new major change. Faith is following God's leading without knowing where. So Abraham does this. He eventually gets to Canaan, but still... When he gets to the land, he doesn't go, he doesn't get to settle down on it. That leads me to the third test. The third test you're going to have in your life is a delayed promise. A delayed promise. Now, God is, is not an app on your phone, right? Where you text your prayer request and you hit the emoji, send it, and you, you get the prayer instantaneously, okay? If it, if it was, it wouldn't require any faith. If prayer of yours was instantaneously, God, and he answered it, you would think he's your genie, right? You know what? God doesn't work for you. In this one, you're going, what, Lord? When are you going to answer my prayer? When are you going to hear me, Lord? When are things going to change in my marriage? When are things going to return to normal? When am I going to buy a house? When are we going to have a vaccine for this pandemic? When will the economy stabilize? It's the when question of life. That's the third test. You're going to go through the when test, guess what, many times in life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham grew up in, uh, uh, grew up in his homeland. Uh, he, he, what he did was he gave all that up. He gave up his friends, his business, everything, putting all these things behind him. But faith also had a time for waiting and being patient. Again, dwelling in, in tents was not considered permanent residence in that time. Not only did Abraham, but also his son, his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, lived out their lives in tents. They were in the land God had promised, but they did not settle down in it. The land was in sight, but not in hand. Near as it was, the land was still only a promise. Abraham waited patiently for the re really valuable things. He never saw God's promise fulfilled. He just waited. Often the hardest times for us as believers are in the in-between times, the times of waiting. You know what? He waited long years for the son of promise who was finally given, yet he waited and watched and worked in the patient belief that God is faithful. The secret of Abraham's patience was his hope his hope in the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of God. His ultimate promised land was heaven, just as ours is. Even had he possessed the land of Canaan 
in his lifetime, it would not have been the ultimate inheritance. Verse 10, he was patient. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. As important as the earthly land was to him and to God's promise, he looked up towards the heavenly land, which he knew he would inherit without fail. And it's amazing how far Abraham saw by faith. He lived 2,000 years before Jesus Christ, and we live 2,000 years after him. See, God wants you to build your life on his promises, not his explanations. God doesn't own you an explanation for anything in your life. God is God, and you're not. You may be in the test right now, the when test, waiting for an answer. And there doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. You're going, when, Lord? When are you going to take care of this problem? Take care of this issue, Lord. When are you going to take care of this relationship? When are you going to take care of my finances? When are you going to take care of my health? When are you going to take care of my future? You're just going to go, when, Lord? Not what, not where, but when? Faith. Faith is waiting for God's timing without knowing when. Number four. I'm going to call this the unsolvable problem. The unsolvable problem. Now, you all had this one, right? The how test. You get a problem and you go, how in the world are we going to solve this one? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. It was by faith that Sarah, together with Abraham, was able to have a child. Even though they were too old, Sarah was barren. You will have this test in your life, have problems in your life that are so difficult, there's no way they're going to be solved unless you go to your knees in prayer and ask God for help. This is the how test of life. How, Lord, are you going to do this? How are you going to get me out of this unsolvable problem? How are you going to do, Lord, a miracle? In Abraham's case, the problem was that Abraham had been promised to be the father of a great nation. Now, at 99, he still had no kids. From the human standpoint, it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. Not only had Sarah always been barren, but by the time she was 90 years of age, you know what? She was far beyond the proper time of life for childbearing. So you see, God told Abraham that not only was he going to move him to a new country, he would also be the father of a great nation. Now remember, he's 75 years old when God tells him this, this great promise. He keeps waiting for his wife to get pregnant. By the age of 99, he still doesn't have a son. This is what you call the, an unsolvable problem. God had expressly told Abraham that he would have a son who would produce a long line of descendants, a whole succession of generations of people of faith in every age, including you and me. But in Romans, Paul says this. He says, check this out. He says, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as did, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. This is a problem. This is an unsolvable problem problem in his life. They get to an age when it is physically, what, impossible. Ah, but this is what happens. The Bible says when God told Abraham, you're going to have a baby, Sarah, his wife, overheard God's promise to Abraham, okay, that she would bear a son. And you know what she did? She laughed to herself, okay? Genesis chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. She started laughing. Nevertheless, you know what God did? God encountered, encountered her with a question. This is what he asked, said. Is anything, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, 21 verse 1 states this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And they named the baby Isaac, and we know this, which means what? Laughter. And God, 
change his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a great nation. This is the how test. Faith is powerful. Faith sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible, and accomplishes the impossible. True faith is active, powerfully active. Even though they were too old and Sarah was barren, Abraham believed that God would keep his promise. So a whole nation came from this one man named Abraham. A nation with so many people that like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore, there's no way, no way to count them. God had the last laugh. Here's the fourth thing. Faith. Faith is expecting a miracle. Expecting a miracle without knowing how. Faith is facing the future without knowing what, following God's leading without knowing where, waiting for God's timing without knowing when, expecting a miracle without knowing how. This, that is the test of your character and your faith. Number five, we call this, it is a senseless loss, a senseless loss. When you have a loss in your life that makes no sense at all, it seems irrational, illogical. The ultimate test here in Abraham's life, I want to tell you, friends, that's the ultimate test in your life. A lot of what happens in life, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. When we look for an explanation, we're not going to find one. You can spend your whole life thinking, if I get an explanation on this great loss that I'm feeling, you won't. After Abraham had his miracle baby at 100, named Isaac, God says this, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. This seems so brutal, so nonsensical. Why would God ask me to sacrifice the very son that he gave me through a miracle? You see, God is testing Abraham's faith. It was by faith, verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Many times, God's tests will be, I would say, a logical struggle for us. We must take comfort in the fact that God is infinite and that we are finite. He knows all things, and our insight is limited at best. And consider what God said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 10. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God promised Abraham that Isaac would become a great nation and all nations would be blessed through him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Again, how could this happen? How could this happen if Abraham sacrificed Isaac? Our response to this, when we look at it from the outside, this is unfair. Have you ever said that in your life? Life is not fair. This is not heaven, church. Life is not fair on earth because it's filled with sin and sorrow, suffering and evil. This would be the most uh, gut-wrenching test in your life when God says, the dream, the dream I've given you. Do you love the dream more than me? Or do you love me more than the dream? In other words, do you trust me? To those who trust in God, check this out. To those who love God and put their trust in him, this is what God says. I will provide the lamb, but you will be tested in your life. Do you love the dream, the promise more than you love the promiser and the dream giver? 
the proof of Abraham's life or Abraham's faith was his willingness to give back to God everything he had, including the son of promise, whom he had miraculously received because of his faith. After all the waiting uh, and wandering, the son had been given by God. Then, before the son grows up, God asked him back. And you know what Abraham did? He obeyed. But still, but still, this is the ultimate test. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Jacob died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham knew that the covenant, which can only be fulfilled through Isaac, was unconditional. He knew that God would do whatever necessary, including raising Isaac from the dead to keep his covenant. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. Isaac became only a type of, uh, of the resurrection. He was offered, but he was not slain. God provided a substitute. And it was the fact that Abraham offered up Isaac that proved his faith. The final, I would say the final standard of faith, it's real proof, it's willingness to sacrifice. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The fifth, faith is trusting God's purpose, trusting God's purpose without knowing why. The sixth test, excuse me. Prolonged pain, prolonged pain. This is the how long test. It could be a chronic pain in your life. That could be a chronic physical pain, a chronic emotional pain, a chronic spiritual pain, a chronic relational pain, a chronic financial pain. It is extended suffering. It's suffering that doesn't go away. You're just having to live with it, maybe your entire life. It's the how long test. How long, Lord? So many of the prophets in the Bible talk about this one and, and ask God, how long, Lord, are you going to let this keep going? An example of this for a third man in the Bible is Moses. Moses had incredible persistence. Moses chose to suffer the pain of alienation and misunderstanding from his adoptive family. You see, Pharaoh's daughter had rescued Moses from death, adopted him as her own son, and raised him in the splendor of the palace. For 40 years, Moses had been the prince of Egypt, the wealthiest, most cultured, uh, and advanced society of that day. He grew up enjoying the most luxurious living, uh, conditions unmanageable. He was educated in all the learning of the, Egypt, of the Egyptians. And you know what? He was a man of power uh, in words and deeds. At age 40, he faced a crucial decision. He had to decide between becoming a full-fledged Egyptian with absolute loyalty and no reservations and joining his own people, Israel. The deciding factor was his faith in God. Verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses chose to walk away from everything Pharaoh's daughter had provided and identify himself with these slave laborers. Moses chose to to suffer the, the loss of, of world honors, pleasures, and wealth. He wore the nicest, newest clothes. If he wanted, he could have enjoyed the most, uh, uh, the most beautiful women in Egypt. He had wealth to buy anything he wanted. 
possessions, positions, prestige, the American dream. But when Moses chose to obey God by faith, when he said, no, I'm going to obey God, he instantly lost it all. He chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Verse 25, Moses had to endure ill treatment with a bunch of refugee slaves in the wilderness, okay, who gave him, check this out, a lot of trouble, grumbling, criticizing him about the conditions that he led them to. But in spite of all the problems he experienced with them, they were still God's people. It was a far greater blessing uh, to endure ill treatment with them than to live in the worldly, superficial society of Pharaoh's court. Also, verse 25, than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Let me tell you something. No one needs to be convinced that sin is often fun. It can feed your pride, satisfy your physical desires and appetites, um, and offer uh, many other pleasures. But it has two characteristics that the world does not notice. It is always evil, and it is always passing. And no matter how temporarily satisfying it may be, its satisfaction is destined to fade. God had called us, all of us, to holiness. He has called us to come apart from sin, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches, greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Verse 26, considering involves, involves a careful thought, uh, not a quick decision. Moses thought through his decision. He weighed the, the pros and the cons. He weighed what Egypt had to offer against what God had to offer. The reproach of Christ is a startling phrase here. Reproach, similar to what Christ endured when he was despised and rejected by the world. Moses considered that any reproach that he endured for identifying himself with God's Messiah was far more valuable than the worldly treasures he could amass in Egypt. The major way to combat the temptations of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is to see, to see the infinite value, infinite value of Jesus Christ is. When you see what a treasure Christ is, everything else fades away. Moses chose choice of faith required weighing the short term against the long term. He was looking to the reward, verse 26. And you know what's something that's very important? Faith. Faith banks on eternity. God's reward is always greater than the world's. God shall supply you all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Sixth test is faith is persisting through pain without knowing how long. This is the how long test of life. How do you develop persistence? How, how do you develop endurance? How do you keep doing the right thing year after year and, you, and when you don't really feel like doing the right thing? You, you don't always feel like getting up in the morning and going to work, right? How do you have the persistence? How do you handle uh, this prolonged pain that you're enduring? By doing what Moses did. And that is, is hearing from God, getting close to God, listening to God, staying connected to God. Moses had a, had a burning bush experience. You don't need a burning bush because he wrote it all down. Everything God wants to say to you is in his word. You don't need some mystical experience 
People say, why didn't God just write it in the sky? He's not going to. He wrote it in a book. Stop. Stop looking for a vision. Start looking for a verse. Stop looking for a sign in the sky. Start looking for a scripture in the word. It will give you the ability to pass the how long tests when you're going through prolonged pain, continuing to persist without knowing how long. And finally, church, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He persisted and persevered. Fear did not work on Moses, at least not when God called him out of Egypt. He knew he had an invisible but powerful means of support as seeing him who is unseen. He knew that no matter what happened, whatever he had to face, he would be held up and strengthened and rewarded. And he believed with David, and say this after me, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the, def- is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Amen? Amen. Now, we're just about done. I just have a few questions. Which tests are you facing right now? An impossible task that you're going, what, Lord? What? Are you considering a major change and you're going, where, Lord? Where? Are you facing a delayed promise? Perhaps a delayed answer. When, Lord? Where? When? Are you facing an unsolved problem? How long, Lord? How? How are you going to do this? Are you struggling with prolonged pain? How long, Lord? What does it mean to live by faith? It's facing the future without knowing what. Faith is following God's leading without knowing where. Faith is ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward with Christ. Faith recognizes that momentarily, light affliction is producing for us an internal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Faith is waiting on God's timing, knowing when. Faith is expecting a miracle without knowing how. Faith is trusting God's purpose without knowing why. Faith and trust and obeys God, leaving the results to his sovereignty. Some trust and obey God. He grants spectacular results. Others, others, God enables them to endure horrific trials in his strength. The difference is not in the people or in their faith, but in God's sovereign purpose in each each situation. Again, faith is continuing to persist without knowing how long. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ counts more than anything else, even than life itself. Church, trust God in whatever difficulty, difficult situations you face. One day soon, you will hear, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? Amen. Now, we all have to make choices in life, and often those choices result in significant consequences. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 states this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person is born alienated from God. To be saved, you must acknowledge that as a sinner, you deserve God's judgment. You must abandon all trust in yourself or your good works as a means of salvation. 
And you must trust in Christ's blood as God's payment for your sins. Now, you can choose a life outside of Christ, which is futile and headed for eternal destruction, or choose eternal life with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Repent of your sin, accept his forgiveness, and if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from judgment and spend eternity with God in heaven. If that's you, and you never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord, and want to be saved today, here is your opportunity. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, came to earth to be the Savior of the world, who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. I repent of my sins, and by faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior, so I may obey you, trust you, follow you, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer to ask Christ to come into your life and follow him, we'd love to hear from you. So you can email us at contact at cryout.org. Contact at cryout.org. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful Sunday.